You're listening to the Next Generation Gym Owners People and Profits Podcast, where we focus on taking your passion and turning it into your profits. Join us for interviews with business experts, industry influencers, and more. Let's get to it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Cheer Biz Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Cotton. And today we're going to be getting spicy. Now, if you didn't notice at the beginning, I changed the name of the podcast. It was long and cumbersome. It's the third time I've changed the name, but we're sticking with this one. It is now the Cheer Biz Podcast. Uh, Thank you for joining us. And today we are going to be talking about my response to the tumble heard round of the world, a declaration for a workers' revolution post that was posted on ASGA this last weekend by an individual named Matt Faraday. Um, and I'm going to be going through my response. So if you're a new listener, though, please go and join our Facebook groups, Cheer and Gymnastics Gym Owners, if you are an owner of your gym, and All-Star Cheer Coaches and Owners, if you are a coach or a coach slash owner. And please remember in those groups, there are no promotions at all. These are collaborative spaces, and people need to know that their staff are not going to be recruited by being on the page and people aren't going to be blasted with sales. The only people promoting sales on those sites are our sponsors. If you love this episode, please make sure that you share it, share it with someone who would get something out of it. If you were talking about this post that was on Facebook, uh, previously with other people, share this podcast with them, share it to ASGA, share it wherever you want. But the more people that are listening, the better, the more our message gets out there. So, Let's get into the episode, my response. Um, So as I mentioned, Matt Faraday was the one who posted this on ASGA, and Matt is not someone that I know. Uh, I do not know him at all. I only know him because he has recently started posting a little bit more on ASGA, and I, I engaged with him once in a discussion about AI. However, he chose to post this idea. No one forced him to. Uh, And he posted this in numerous times and in numerous ways on ASGA, which sparked a lot of response. And there were a number of people who commented and a few uh, asked for me to do responses on his comments. So, uh, or a response episode on this. So here you go. Now I want to go through some of the things that he, he stated on his post uh, for those of you who didn't get the opportunity to read it. um, And, then I'll go into my responses. Now, this post is now no longer on ASGA. None of his posts are. Um, He kind of went, fired off a bunch of different things over the course of the weekend, and now they are all gone. I don't know if he removed them or if the admins removed them. I'd be surprised if the admins didn't because nothing he said was um, normally in alignment with things that would violate the group rules, although he was a little bit aggressive in some of his responses to other people who commented questioning his uh, his thoughts. And my initial plan was to actually post my response uh, in podcast form at on his post, but that post is now gone. So uh, I'm going to go through some of the assertions made so you all know where I'm coming from if you didn't get to read the post or if you're listening to it a little bit later. So the assertions made in the article that he had were eventually pared down to a more consumable list, but he listed the current issues in the cheerleading industry uh, as 
unchecked influence of the USASF and varsity, specifically that they were a profit driven model and that they believed in profit above all else. He cited the exorbitant cost of the events, membership fees and uniforms, and a rulemaking system that arguably compromises athlete safety. And again, these are his assertions. So I'm taking snippets of what he wrote and I'm summarizing. Uh, he asserted that the industry has inadvertently encouraged pushing athletes to their limits, skipping and rushing progressions and leading to an increase in injuries, calling into question whether current regulations prioritize athlete safety. He additionally cited the rise and implications of mega gyms. I say that with quotations. He re, uh, he, he, uh, references the looming possibility of gym monopolization, and he claims that this situation uh, causes a stifling of the potential of new ideas, different approaches, and fresh talent to emerge and flourish and is significantly reduced. He also proposed changing to gym worker collectives that said collectives would invigorate the industry and align it with the spirit of cooperation, equity, and shared responsibility that we, he states, we value. He asserts gyms would shift to shared ownership with staff and democratic operations, the coaches and staff, the people who pour their hearts and energy into the training and supporting the athletes are also the people who own and govern the gym. He claims this model naturally enhances dedication and performance with a direct stake in the gym's success. The individuals would be incentivized to deliver their very best every day. He states that this will improve training for athletes, and he claims a worker collective promotes a more equitable distribution of income instead of profits flowing to a select few. Financial rewards are shared among those who directly contribute to the gym's success. He claims financial stability is often absent in traditional business models, and he claims the most powerful aspect of the model lies in the shared decision-making within the gym. He believes this offers a compelling pathway to improving our industry. He additionally suggests rethinking our governance to a nonprofit and democratic approach, switching to new governing bodies. He further suggests changing our relationship with event producers, producers and calls it a call for fairness and equity. He states the current relationship is dictated by financial influences. He makes the assertion that event producers' clout extends to dictating the terms of participation, setting steep entry prices that place substantial financial stress on gyms, and that their model favors quantity over quality and revenue all over remarkable experiences. He essentially claims that results are impacted by who pays the most. He further claims it is clear as day that the status quo cannot persist if our goal is to establish a truly inclusive, equitable, and sustainable all-star cheerleading industry. He also says that a profit that profitability needs to move much further down the rungs of priority, meaning very little priority. He asks us to envision a world where gyms operating as democratic worker collectives can directly negotiate with event producers armed with collective bargaining power. As he states, this isn't just a change, it is an evolution, a revolution that seeks to place our athletes and experiences at the heart of our industry instead of being overshadowed by monetary transactions. A call to prioritize people over profits, passion over payments, and cheerleading over commercialization. The last set of claims are this, that these proposed changes will 
re, uh, cause a reduction in participation and entry fees, cause an improved quality and fairness of competition, prompt identification and eradication of predatory behavior, increase transparency and accountability. And he further goes on to comment on the overall independence from capitalism and its pervasive system. He further gives some of his personal experience as a coach and his challenge from his disability due to his injury he received while spotting. Now, I'm going to go into my reactions and I'm going to be as professional as I can. And even just reading through that, I have my notes of my reactions and there were some things that I didn't comment on that I want to make sure that I don't miss. One of my biggest issues with this is the entire uh, way it was written assumes a number of things. It assumes that there are uh, certain things that we all value. And yet he did not get, he's, he's talking about democracy and democratic input, yet he is the one establishing what our industry's values are without doing any sort of survey, without actually learning what the values are. So he says that uh, our spirit of cooperation, equity, and shared responsibility is what we value. And that may not be what we all value. Uh, as an industry. That may not be the number one thing that we value. Um, he also claims that this all would promptly identif uh, cause a prompt identification and eradication of predatory behavior. And quite frankly, I'm, I'm, I'm going to talk about this later, but I call complete and total BS on that. A massive democracy where coaches could get together, like like-minded people could all get together under their gym and a group of people who engage in predatory behaviors could be the democratic decision makers because they have the majority vote, could theoretically vote out the people who want to enforce a moral standard within the gym because they have a democratic majority because they are now the democratic owners of the gym. And if you think that these things cannot become pervasive of that level, I would encourage you to just look back about 12 months ago when we first started learning some of the things that were going on in the whole rock star scandal that came out. Now, some things haven't been proven yet. There's a lot of allegations and not necessarily proven facts, but suffice it to say, there was a lot of allegation that there were widespread systemic issues in that, um, in that environment, in that culture, and particularly in that one particular gym. It, uh, that could absolutely happen and is even more likely to happen in this model that he is discussing. So I don't think that this would have any positive impact on rooting out predators. Um, and I told you, I'm going to get a little bit spicy on this one um, because I'm a little bit fired up. And I know that other people were fired up as well. Um, I am, in my response, I am attacking the ideas and I am responding to the the assumptions and the ideas. I'm not responding to the individual. He may be, Matt may be a really nice person. Um, although I was very off put by his responses to a lot of people um, giving him uh, rebuttals. Uh, and I think that shows a closed mindedness. If you're going to put something out there in the world, uh, and you're going to post it and you're going to say, here you go, everyone. I, here is my, here's my manifesto. Here is my thought. And you are going to tell gym owners that they're, they should give up the ownership of their gym and these things. And you're, you're expecting everyone to just be good with it. Like I, I, I think you uh, may have overplayed your hand there a little bit. And then to 
he, he made a subsequent later post talking about how he couldn't believe how closed-minded people were and that it was met with resistance and this is everything that's wrong with the industry. Well, look, revolutionary ideas are often met with resistance, good and bad. So I, I don't understand why you're surprised by this. You know, I've had a number of ideas to improve the industry. Um, I've talked about some of them on the podcast. My concept of how you should structure private lessons is somewhat of a revolutionary idea. And it's been met with a lot of resistance. I've had a lot of people tell me I'm, I'm crazy or I'm wrong or it shouldn't be done like that. And I go, okay, I, I hear what you're saying. Here's my counterpoint. We have a discussion. At the end of the day, it's their choice because it's their program or it's their gym. Now, I'm going to go into my responses now. I just want to get those couple things out of the way. Um, and I'm going to try and do these logically. I have a bunch of notes written out because I was trying not to make this a two-hour-long uh, podcast episode. So number one, uh, and this is kind of the foundational piece, and I think this is where we both foundationally disagree. Um, I believe that capitalism is good, and I believe that socialism isn't. And I don't believe that socialism works. I also believe that capitalism and Western society have done more for the world and people as a whole than any other structure in history. If you look at the majority of the advancements of the world, they have all come from Western culture and not just Western culture, but the, the in initialization, uh, the initialization of capitalism. Okay. Capitalism really started to change the world um, and it inspires innovation. It inspires so many different things. So I, I don't believe in socialism. Um, I'm That's not my vibe at all. You are talking to slash listening to someone who literally held up their hand and took an oath to defend this country. And I spent 20 years of my life dedicated to protecting our constitution and its fundamental beliefs. And anyone who hasn't actually seen the world and seen the evil that one human being can do to another human being does not truly understand what we have as a country, what we have as a society, as broken as it may be sometimes. So I'm just going to start out with that is where I operate from. Uh, and that makes this individual's wavelength and mine completely separate. Like you're never going to argue a, a socialist idea and tell me that it is the right move. I am all for helping people. I'm all for supporting people. And I don't believe personally my, the way I see capitalism, I don't believe that as built on the backs of victimizing other people. I think you can believe in capitalism without taking advantage of other people. Um, but I think it is, it is the heart of what has launched, uh, the most progress in our world's history. When you talk about technological advancement and where people are as a whole, I've been to areas in the world where people do not have running water, where people do not have electricity and people live in huts. And I have driven by open sewage running through the streets. And that is how people live their lives. And this was in 2009. Okay. This is not that far in the past. There are many, many places in the world that do not enjoy the luxuries that we enjoy. And if you really want to look at socialism, I mean, you, someone mentioned this on one of the posts, but like, Go look at Cuba, go look at Venezuela, like go look at some of these countries that have gone to the socialist ideal and gone away from capitalism. And generally speaking, you find 
a super elite group of people who've taken advantage of everyone else. And so I'm just not, I'm not a fan of it. I don't believe in it. And that, that is my, my standpoint. So it's hard to be on the same page as this person. Number two, this is a perfect example of the limitations of AI. When you use chat GPT to create your entire grand thesis paper, it's going to have a lot of holes in it because it only knows what you have taught it. It only knows the prompts that you have given it and the other things that it can find throughout the internet in what it has open access to. So I actually took his text and I gave it to ChatGPT and I said, give me counter arguments to this. And it spat them out like that, no problem. Spat out counter arguments, poked holes in the arguments that it made. And then I said, hey, give me counter arguments from the perspective of a gym owner who had started their own business. And boom, it gave me more. And I'm going to actually post a link to those responses in the comments so you can just go see what ChatGPT did. Now, I don't think that ChatGPT is a bad thing. I did a whole episode on AI. I think you can utilize it for a lot of really cool things. I don't think this was the right approach. Um, and it... M- it lacks the humanity. It lacks the feeling of, you know, being a human being delivering something with passion. And I just think it really is part of what turned people off to some of his thoughts. Additionally, using chat GPT in your responses to people's concerns, as well as your own opinion. Um, so to try and put your opinion in and respond to people's concerns, I think is a really, really poor move because I was pretty off put by his responses to people's concerns. They felt combative. They felt arrogant. And they, I think part of that was because he was using chat GPT to respond. So it wasn't responding with uh, care and with attention and with compassion. It was just taking that person's response and then tearing it down. And most of the time, there wasn't even anything to tear down. It was just simply, I can't believe you don't understand this. You're an idiot, was kind of the general responses I was seeing on this. And again, I know that I wasn't the only one who was off put by this, but this is where ChatGPT has some significant limitations. ChatGPT is only going to go with what you have fed it. And then to claim that something is incredibly well thought out and incredibly dialed in when you probably gave ChatGPT Maybe you gave it 50 prompts to develop this thesis. I don't, I don't think that's enough. I don't think that is enough time and you didn't get enough input for being a someone who is arguing over a democratic approach. Uh, you didn't approach it in a democratic fashion. You approached it from a, here is my thought, here is my plan. If you don't agree with me, you're an idiot. The assertion that the unchecked influence of USASF and varsity is the ultimate problem with the industry. So A, uh, or number one for this point, one uh, is he claimed that everything is about profit. Well, do your research. USASF is technically a nonprofit. That doesn't mean USASF doesn't make money. Nonprofits can bring in revenue, but they have to then either reinvest it and pay their board like there's ways around it. Um, So 
just on its face, you lose credibility when you say things like, we need to move to a nonprofit entity as the governing body. And you're asserting that USASF is the governing body, but they are also a nonprofit entity. Now, you can absolutely argue that they have affiliations with Varsity, which is a for-profit entity, and that creates challenges. And you're right. It does. That, that would be a correct statement. But to state that both USASF and Varsity are for-profit entities that value profit over all else is patently false because USASF is not a for-profit entity. And Varsity has its issues. And I will call them out 100% and I have to their faces. Like people who work for Varsity can tell you that I am not afraid to send that email. I'm not afraid to have that conversation. I've called them out in podcasts. I will call out things when I see them. But I will also praise things when I see them. And to say that both of these entities are the root of all problems in the industry is is not true. Like, I just don't believe it's true. Um, Have they contributed to some of the problems? Yes. Have they tried to fix some of the things that they've contributed to as some of the problems? Yes. Are they perfect? No. Are they trying to be perfect? I think so. I I truly do. Um, Have they made mistakes? Yes. Do I think it was a mistake back in the day when Varsity went out and they embarked on the plan of like buy everyone, make the whole world varsity. Yeah, I do. I do think that's a problem. I think monopolization is a problem. Do I think that USASF partnering with varsity early on created a problem? Yes, I do. Do I think that the board needs to be comprised of non-event producers and and have a wider diversity to it? Yes, I do. So you're not getting, so you have diversity of thought um, from all aspects of the industry. And I think that they've moved towards those things. And on top of that, there are IEPs everywhere. And some are good and some are really, really bad. And there's lots of options of various kinds. There is now the World All-Star Federation that is starting up and doing their thing. There's all these IEPs. There's the open. There's a lot of different things going on in the industry. So to simply say that the root of all problems is... USASF and Varsity, I think is it's a scapegoat. You're using them to say that they are the ultimate problem. And while they may be a contributing factor, and I'm going to call out the things that they need to do to be better, I also don't think that they're the only problem that exists. I've worked with IEPs that I don't think do things well. I think are are in things for the wrong reasons. I think they are more profit focused than Varsity is. So. I just, I, I take a little bit of issue with that. Anytime someone tries to point at one thing and say, you're the problem, that's the only problem to this widespread industry. I think you're missing a lot of different things. I'm also not sure that they have a profit trumps all mindset. And even if they did, I sometimes actually kind of think that's almost a good thing. Because when profit is the ultimate goal and profits decrease, you are incentivized to make changes quickly to fix that problem, which is one of my consistent counterpoints with this whole um, democratic approach is that things don't change quickly because democracies are slow. I would just encourage everyone to stop for a moment and think about how much the industry as a whole attacks and bashes these two entities. And yes, sometimes it is completely justified, but also think about if the tables were turned and this was apparent talking about 
your gym in the same way and accusing you of all the same things that we accuse varsity of, you would be livid about it. Like you would be furious and you would say, you don't understand you, you silly, silly people. You don't understand all the hard work that we do and everything that goes into what we're trying to accomplish. So I'm not saying don't hold them accountable, but also like, let's also be reasonable about this. And again, going back to the profit trumps all mentality. Look, profit is how they're going to listen. So if you really want to encourage change, that's how you're going to get people to respond. When you take away profit as a, a fundamental factor, and we're now basing it off of whether or not athletes have say they had fun, or I, I don't even know. I don't know what your measuring stick for this is going to be if profit is not the factor, if people attending and how profitable an event is, is not the key factor. Um because ultimately, even people who try to put on a great event and want things to be about more about the experience, and like I say this, what I do with Dream Camps is at least 50% about the experience and about the feeling and about the kids and about the bonds and about taking care of my staff. Like it is about those things. But if I don't profit, if I don't make money, I can't do any of those things. I can't do any of those things. So money is absolutely a key factor. So I just don't, I, I think that you missed the mark on that one a little bit, but I know more people would agree with that than they would agree with some of these other things. The assertion that the rise of mega gyms is something of serious concern um, is is somewhat true. I think most small gyms and micro gyms feel uh, that nervousness that a mega gym expansion is a threat to their existence. That if a mega gym moved in near next door, they would lose a bunch of kids. And I'm going to be honest, I see both sides of the coin on this. And I've, I've talked about it on previous episodes in terms of what small gyms don't understand about big gyms and what big gyms don't understand about small gyms. Um, and I get it. I get that fear. Uh, you know, there was a period of time in my life where I was like, man, if, if a, a large gym expanded to down the street, I don't know if we'd survive that. And so I set out on a goal of like, okay, well, I need to get to a point where I could. I need to get to a point where even if we lost 25% of our all-stars or 50% of our all-stars, we have enough other revenue streams that we would survive. And so that became one of my focuses. So I identified that threat and then I found a way to solve the problem. What actually scares me more um, than just these gyms expanding and some gyms potentially closing, which I totally get. If it's your gym, it's a big deal. But what scares me more is that as these mega gyms expand, as these mega gyms, I'm, I'm using air quotes, um, expand, they get more and more into an overextended position that could result in the complete crumbling of what they've built. And we've actually seen this happen. We've seen more than one gym that has franchised out and then now they're back down to one location. And if that happened in a somewhat simultaneous fashion where these seven, eight, nine really, really big gyms, these really big franchises all crumbled, then I think that would be incredibly damaging to the industry. Uh, and that would be that would be a big deal. Um, I think it would hurt the industry as a whole because all of these, I mean, there would be disenfranchised people who would just quit the sport. Yes, they might go somewhere else, but like if everything crumbled at the same time, that could be really, really risky. Now, do I think 
that some of these programs should stop expanding? Yes, absolutely. Growth is not always the right solution. However, I do have to say I vehemently disagree that these gyms stifle the growth of potential new ideas, different approaches, and fresh talent. Look at the talent in the industry, and it's coming out of these programs, which is actually interesting that he would argue against these programs because one of the reasons there's so much talent coming out of these programs is there is value in surrounding yourself with other talented people. When you start to surround yourself with all of this talent, you see significant growth because everyone is pushing one another to rise up. This is one of the issues with socialism. When you just exist and get paid, um, there's no incentive to get better. But when you are in an area where everyone is always pushing to get better and pushing to improve, it raises your level. It raises your creativity. It forces you to do these things. And so if you look at, let's take all-star out of it. Let's just look at colleges. Look at these kids when they leave and go to a college like a Weber, like a Moorhead, like uh, Trinity Valley, where they have their space that they go and they just practice. Outside of practice, they just go and they work and they stunt and they tumble and they do these things. And you look at how good those kids get, how fast they get. And now those are the people that everyone is seeking out to have come to their gyms and come to their programs and work with them. So I just don't see the statement that these gyms are stifling growth and stifling creativity and certainly not crushing talent. If anything, they're they're building more and more and more talent. All right, now getting into the big one, the Gym Workers Collective. This is where I struggle the most to be compassionate, uh, but I'm going to break down where he misses the mark and where a lot of the this socialism stuff just misses the mark in general. Um, so I'm, I'm going to try not to be too harsh, um, but I, I have some thoughts on this. So um, number one, Telling gym owners they should simply give up ownerships of their gym to their staff is probably the most ludicrous statement one person could make. To insinuate that my staff or any gym staff have an entitlement to ownership of the company is ludicrous. My gym has one, one staff member who started with us when we opened the gym. So what would happen when a new staff member comes on? They simply have the same vote, same ownership stake in the company, having contributed nothing. In his actual post, people said, well, why don't you start your own gym and do it this way? And he says, well, unfortunately, there are realities that you need capital, you need loans, you need these things to start a gym, and I don't have the ability to do that. So his assumption is that someone else should do that for him, but then give him the same ownership that they have. That's absolutely ludicrous. That is, I'm sorry. I'm again, I, I'm trying not to attack you as a person, but that is a victim mindset. That is an entitled mindset and is absolutely backwards. No gym owner owes you the right to own part of their gym. They just, they just don't. That's absolutely nonsense. All right. The assertion that this will ensure that people are being paid for the amount of effort they are putting into the business is borderline laughable. Actually, it is laughable. It's not borderline laughable. It's just flat out laughable. Okay. This is not going to ensure that the people are being paid for the amount of effort they are putting into the business. Paying people an hourly rate is, or paying people a salary upon an agreed upon working agreement is, 
doing that. Like you're, you're, where you're missing the mark here, my friend, is you don't understand that most gym owners out there, and I work with a lot of them, most of them don't pay themselves regularly. Or they didn't pay themselves regularly for the first couple years. Or they did, but they paid themselves an effective hourly rate of like a dollar. Like the amount of work that gym owners are doing behind the scenes to actually make sure there's a gym to coach in is massive. And to think that you getting a kid a back handspring is commensurate to all of the other work that goes on to actually make the business run is, it's completely asinine. Like that's just not the same thing. Gym owners work their butts off. And most of the time, when you look at it from an hourly perspective, the gym owner is the worst compensated. So to say that suddenly by allowing the other staff to have an ownership that now everyone's going to be paid fairly is absolutely bonkers. It's, it doesn't make any sense. Now, there may be gyms out there where owners take massive salaries. Most of the time, those owners who take big salaries are owners who've worked really, really, really hard and invested a lot of money and a lot of time. And now they're essentially getting paid for all those years that they weren't paying themselves well. So I, I just, I disagree with that entire statement. Um, and it's, it's not true. Um, and it's not true for a lot of reasons. You want to know one of the reasons it's not true? Because gym owners don't focus on profit. This entire podcast, it was titled The People and Profits Podcast because our goal in NextGen is to help gym owners learn that profit isn't a bad word. It's people like you that are out there telling owners that profit is a bad thing and profit is a bad word and they should be ashamed to be making that profit and you should be ashamed to be paying yourself that money. It's people like you that are causing the problems in the industry. If gym owners were actually empowered to make a profit and bring in money and focus on revenue and and workers and employees and staff understood why it was so important for the gym to be financially successful because when it is, we all rise, the, the industry as a whole would be so much healthier. But instead, we have gym owners being told that they shouldn't profit and they should cut their prices and they should downgrade this and downgrade that. And we're just talking people who started out with the best intentions into working for free for years and years and years and years and years, and years just so they can pay their staff and continue to offer an opportunity. The amount of gym owners that I have talked to who don't close their gyms because they haven't paid themselves in four years, but they just couldn't do it to the kids or they just couldn't do it to the staff to not keep the gym open. I, astronomical. I've talked to so many owners who are like that. I've been that owner at one point. And now I'm finally in a position where I am financially successful, but I'm financially successful because I work my butt off. And if you want to come check schedules, let's go. Because I work about 80 to 90 hours a week minimum between my three companies. All right, continuing on. I told you I was going to get spicy. I'm sorry about this. Democracies are cumbersome at best. If you've never heard the term too many cooks in the kitchen, I don't know what rock you're living under, but there's a reason that that term exists. Because when you get too many people's opinions involved, decisions don't get made. Things start to go really, really, really slow. The wheel turns really slow. One of the reasons that the found, founding fathers created our 
democratic republic the way they did is to make change really difficult because they believed they had it right in the constitution and that change should take a lot of time. It shouldn't be something really easy to be done. If we have democracies in our gyms and we have to have everything, every decision possible has to be put to a vote, you will literally get nothing done and your gym will close. It just won't because you will have to, well, should we send this email with this wording? Well, let's put it to a vote. I mean, it's just ludicrous. You cannot do it that way. Democracies don't work in that way. Democracies are great. I believe in a democracy. But when it comes to running a business that has to run at speed, at tempo, you have to be making decisions. You have to be acting. There have to be people who are in charge, who are in leadership roles. It doesn't always have to be the owner. There can be people who are managers who are in those leadership roles making those decisions. And in fact, it should be if you're running a really good business. You as the owner shouldn't be involved in every decision. But I can tell you from experience, it slows things down. It really does. When you have to do everything by committee, decisions don't happen and things don't change. Next point is coaches have no idea how to run or manage a business. Most coaches who get into coaching are exactly that. They're coaches. They were athletes who became coaches. Or, I mean... Matt, you reference all of your experience as a, as a trainer and athletic trainer and how you understand these things. That doesn't mean you understand business. I'm sorry. Even if you go to school for business, it doesn't mean you understand how to run a business. You want to learn how to run a business, get down in the trenches and run a business. Like that is, that is how you learn. But most coaches don't know how to do that. So they're not going to be making decisions if you go to this democratic rule. They're not necessarily going to be making the best business decisions. I've had so many coaches that if I just gave them, if I made them king or queen for a day, they would make a ton of really bad decisions that would be bad for business. It might make the team win a little bit more, or it might make this one thing happen. You know, if you asked an all-star coach, they'd be like, forget about all these classes that are a pain in my butt. I don't like having them around. They distract my kids. I want just my team in the gym, only them. Oh, and I want to do private lessons and I want to make 100% of the money. Well, none of those things are good for business. Coaches don't necessarily know how to run a business. They can learn, and I'm passionate about teaching them. I think you can teach them. I want my staff to learn how to run the business. I want my staff to learn how to be great managers, but it's something you have to learn. And just simply giving it to people doesn't teach them anything. So to just go, well, the coaches know best. Well, the coaches know best about coaching their team, but they don't always know best about running the company. That is what an owner is for. And that's what you need an owner or a manager or someone focused on. Here's the reality. Your workers revolution plan will ultimately fail. The reason your workers revolution will ultimately fail, there's two parts. One is people do this because they love to do this. So there are lots of coaches out there ready and willing to step up and coach without having an ownership part. On top of that, there are a lot of coaches who don't want to own a gym. They don't want to be involved in the process. They don't want the, to be involved in the decision-making. They just want to come in. They want to coach their classes, coach their team, do their lessons, and they want to go home. And they don't want to have the stress of having to figure out how you're going to pay the rent or how you're going to pay the phone bill or how you're going to come up with payroll. They don't want to have to deal with that. So there's a lot, a lot of coaches that don't want to do that, that are 18, 19 years old, that don't have the capacity or the experience or the knowledge to do that. So that's number one reason why your, your workers revolution will fail. And number two, I'm just going to speak really, really directly 
because gym owners are fighters. The people who own gyms today, the people who owned gyms for COVID, they're fighters. We've seen some stuff. We've been through some stuff. We've been sitting there looking at our gyms, looking at our rent that our lease, our landlords are saying we have to pay and looking at the law that's saying we have to be closed or we can only have people in our, our gym if they're six feet apart, which is kind of hard when you do cheerleading. Or we can only have five people in the gym at a, at a time. You're, you're talking to people who owned their gyms and pivoted and figured out how to stay open and figured out how to bring in enough revenue and figured out how to own a business in one of the hardest times to own a business in the last 20 to 30 years. So these people, they're fighters and they're not going to give up their gym just because someone says that they think they deserve to own it. It's just not going to happen. There are gym owners, myself included, who... Uh, if that was really the case, if literally all of my staff came to me and said, we're going to quit if we are not made owners of the gym, I'd be like, okay, bye. I would start coaching everything. My Tori and I would coach and we would, we'd be at the gym every single night, but we've done it before. I did it for five years. I don't do it anymore, but I could go back to doing it. That's how I built my program. I'll fight through it. I'll figure it out. But you know what? My staff don't want to do that because I treat them well, because they get paid a good salary, because they get taken care of. So that's that's not going to happen. But gym owners are fighters and they're not going to they're not going to stand by. They're not going to do this. And I think you saw that in people's responses. They said, no. Thanks for your idea. Not interested. So I appreciate the uh, the inspiration, but people aren't going to do it. Moving on, you can absolutely beg for a new governing body. However, in my opinion, no governing body in the world crushes it. Like on any sport, our government, nothing. No governing body is really out there just crushing it, doing their best, doing God's work for everyone. Like every governing body has issues. Part of those issues are the democracy portion of decisions get made really slowly. And I just don't necessarily think that starting up some new governing body is going to make things that much better. I, I think I am a personal believer in fix what we have, use what we have, whether it be the USASF or the World All-Star Federation or both, You know, use those to continue to drive the industry towards uh, positive results. But I'm old enough to remember before we had any governing bodies and it was the wild, wild west. And you just did whatever you wanted. And it was just based on every state. It was, I mean, so, and I can tell you it's better now than it was then. It was, or it is. You talk about uh, event producers and how they're they're profit focused, but at the end of the day, event producers can set their standards. That's their right as a business. They they're hosting their event. They can do whatever they want. If an event producer wanted to say, "We're going to run a cheerleading and plate spinning competition," and you're required to have two eight counts of plate spinning in your routine, they could do that. They wouldn't be USASF certified. They wouldn't be WASF, but they, they wouldn't be open, but they could do whatever they want. Now, I don't think it would be super successful. Why? Because of the profit-focused market. People wouldn't attend their events. They wouldn't make any money. They would either change or they wouldn't have customers. So capitalism actually makes it so those things don't happen. People vote with their dollar. And that is where we have power. And if you really want to make those changes with event producers, then get gyms to be talking to each other, get gyms to be working together, get gyms to go together and say, hey, we're all like 
boycotts work. We're all going to not attend this event unless you change this thing and hold people accountable. And I'll tell you, I voted with my dollar before. I've gone to EPs and I've said, I'm not coming to your event because of X, Y, and Z next year unless you change it or show me you've changed it and then I'll come back. I've absolutely done that. And event producers care. Why? Because profit matters. They want to make money. They need to make profit. They need to make revenue. So that actually is a plus. If we take that out and we go to this nebulous, everyone feels good about themselves as our measuring stick, we're not going to actually see any growth. These assertions uh, would not create a brighter future for anyone. So the assertion was it will create a brighter future for everyone, and it, it would not. It would actually, in my opinion, lead to the death and destruction of the industry at a rate unrealized prior. The lack of proper pricing and revenue would lead to a lack of compensation, leading people to leave the industry as a whole. So if you don't have revenue, you can't pay people, people can't be compensated, people won't invest their time and their energy. So you have to, profit is not a bad thing. Profit's a great thing. Profit is what allows you to do all of the cool things. It's what allows you to pay your staff well. It's what allows you to take your staff on cruises. It's what allows you to move into a bigger building. It's what allows you to get better equipment. It's what allows you to travel to cooler events. It's what allows you to do everything amazing. If you don't run an effective business and you don't focus on the profit, then you can't do any of those things. And while if we don't focus on profit and we just slash prices and we do all these things and we make it all about the, the you know, progressions and those things, you may see enrollment increase with a dramatically cheaper product. And then you're going to get dollar, stevel, dollar store level cheerleading. It's just not going to be anything amazing. I could go on for hours about this, but I'm actually really busy because I have three different businesses to run. Um, but at the end of the day, profit isn't evil. In fact, profit is fantastic. Profit is the gasoline to propel the industry forward. So this is that is my response, everyone. Now, I told you I was going to get spicy with it. Hope I didn't offend anyone too much. Um, but those those are my thoughts. And I think that the overall claims in this, I mean, the whole thing missed the mark massively. I, I did not agree with a single point in this. Um and I, I don't think it's the route to take our industry. And if you have people who are who are citing this, um, they can listen to this. They'll probably disagree with me, uh, which that's a problem with one-sided conversation is you, when you don't have debate um, you're, and when you talk about things and you just post something and then don't want responses or even with a podcast, you know I can't hear your responses. So if you have things where I missed the mark, shoot me a message, shoot me an email. If you loved it, shoot me a message, shoot me an email. I, I love hearing feedback. I love hearing from you guys, but, uh, this was, this was a long one. I told you it was going to be a little bit long. So thank you for listening. If you listened until the end, if you're looking for another great podcast, make sure you check out the let's talk to your podcast with Jason Larkins. Absolutely amazing stuff. He's putting out some really fantastic content right now and make sure you share this episode with anyone you think would love it with that. We will catch you on the next episode. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Next Generation Gym Owners People and Profits podcast. If you would like to be featured on our podcast, click.